0: You are listening to the Evolution Exchange podcast, a platform that we've created to bring the Nordic community together. My name is Paul Hackett, and I'm your host. All right, so welcome to the Evolution Exchange. Uh, today we'll be discussing the psychological impact of indie game development. So uh, we'll start off with a round of introductions. Simon, if
1: you'd like to go first. All right. Hi, my name is Simon Burquist. I'm a uh a game developer, and I'm the CEO of Aguera Games. Uh, We're making a VR game called Toss, uh, where it's a bananas VR climbing platformer where you can play as an acrobatic ape with the strength to swing and toss yourself freely between obstacles and challenging playgrounds. And we've been working on that for a few years and coming up on like the ending of that uh, production. Yeah.
0: Cool,
2: Uh, Alex. Yeah, um, I'm Alexander Bergendahl. Um, I am both a CEO and co founder of Loot Locker. Um, and I'm also the uh, co founder of Aurora Punks. Um, I've been building uh, game studios for about a decade um, and basically see that all game developers want access to the same features that help you know, Fortnite and Roblox become massive cross platform successes, uh, things like user generated content and subscriptions. And so we built Loot Locker as a game as a back end game backend as a service um, to provide these um, tools for all types of indie developers. Um, we've got about 100 games being built on the platform so far after about a year of being live. Um, and then with Aurora Punks, um, we are an indie developer collective. Um, so we're about 30 indie developers working within solo developers or small teams um, and basically funding their development so that they can build the best games possible.
0: Perfect. Uh, Jonah.
3: Yeah. Um, hi, everyone. My name is Johannes Nornaby. Everyone calls me Jonal for old email reasons. Um, I, I run Nornware as a one-man band. Uh, it's an indie game studio. Uh, I'm currently in early access since forever, six years now, with my game Space Beast Terror Fright, which is basically run and gun in claustrophobic environments killing aliens. It's a, it heavily leans heavily on procedural generation. Um, yeah, I've been doing this since... Uh, 1997 i think i was i was one of the first hires at massive entertainment um was there was at dice um found out that i had a, a much too much of a creative agenda myself so that's how i got out of it and got into indie stuff uh, been running in norway for about 10 years now thanks
0: victor cool, cool.
4: i'm uh, victor serid i'm a producer and co-founder and audio guy at flamebait games we're a small in the game company in Juvda in Sweden, uh, who was founded in 2016, and we've made uh, three games called Passport 2, Swing, and Fortune Fight. And right now, we're working on the sequel to the first game, Passport 2, that is called The Lost Artist. And uh, I, my background is in uh, is in audio, but uh, when I started working with games, I also discovered that I love spreadsheets and planning and people. So I also do some uh, I've turned into more of a producer project management role with also like HR stuff and general utility person, I guess you could say. So wearing all the hats as most (laughs) indie devs do, I guess.
0: Very cool. All right. Thank you so much, guys, for being here today. All right. So let's just kick it off with the first question. Jono, you wanted to ask the group, how do you find (laughs) done when it comes to game release? Do you want to give some context around that?
3: Yeah, I mean, um, when thinking of the question to ask, I, I realized that I wanted to ask a question that's really hard for me to answer, and I, you know, maybe learn something in the process. So I hope it's clear that um, in in context of your game, how, when is it done? You know, because we're all indies. I guess we're all, you know, we have a lot of freedom to to be in creative control. That's probably why we're all indies. Um, and uh, I've just been finding since I've been in um, in early access many years longer than i had intended uh I'm, I'm having to uh, admit to myself that it's it's sort of difficult to like to, to draw a line in the sand with, with something that is in early access and something that is mutable and that's something that could be p- potentially mutated forever especially when it's like a in my case a multiplayer game and people are coming with suggestions all the time and it's procedural and there is no real end and there's no real story so you know from that background it's that's been one of the hardest things for me. And I don't know if it maybe doesn't apply to everyone, but uh, I'd be interested in hearing your thoughts on on any kind of, you know, tips and tricks to to know when to stop, so to speak.
0: Yeah. All right. Vic, do you wanna kick this one off? Seeing as you've got three games, you've released three and you're onto <laughs> a sequel, so you're probably in a, a decent yeah, spot to start there.
4: I, I think this this was the absolutely the most uh, difficult question because it's it's I think this is very dependent on the project and the company you're talking about but i think um we we've been struggling quite a bit over the years with finding um ways of checking off specific things as done but we've we've found ways to work with it and i think like the most important piece of the puzzle for us was probably to have very, very clearly distributed responsibilities of who has the mandate of deciding on which area of the game what is done, done or not. Right. I'm not sure if you're working on a solo project or if it's a if it's an entire team. Uh, yeah. To be clear, um,
3: there used to be a team a long time ago, but now it's it's been me by myself right. for at least five years. You know. Yeah.
4: Yeah. And I can I can imagine it's extremely difficult in that case when you're yeah. working on your own to figure out exactly when something is done or not. Uh, but I think what what's a key to it for us has been to very clearly from the start of every product we uh, project we we map out all the different features and content we want to include in the product that we release. Yeah. And then we do estimates for everything, and those estimates, of course, are often quite impossible to get. Uh, Super accurate, but they give you an idea of what the general scope of the project is right from the get-go. Right. And then we just set hard that de- like uh, we set hard deadlines for our milestones. Even though we, if we're self-publishing a game, we might not have to. Like we we might have a lot of time to do something, but that doesn't really mean we should take that time to do it in our in yeah. our world. So we do estimates and we try to follow them as closely as possible. Then of course, um, me as the producer and project manager, it's my my job to interpret those estimations and tr- turn them into realistic uh, estimations. I guess you could say uh, to get a good idea of how much the project actually costs to make. So I think, from my perspective, it's. It's hard because I've never worked on a long-term solo project. But if you're working in a team, clearly distributed responsibilities and mandates in decision-making are very important. And uh, otherwise, I think it's just a matter of making sure to try to plan out as much of the project from the start and then dedicating yourself to those estimations that you make right. on on the game. Um, but it's, it's really difficult. I also think that... Um, yeah, you'll have to cut me off if, if you want me to stop nah, talking. Alex, like.
0: Simon, feel free to jump in whenever you want.
4: Yeah, uh, but I also just shout if you want me to stop. <laughs> I'll just keep going. But I think a really essential part of it is, as well is as always to test your game against the users uh, because you're always worrying about all the different aspects of your game that you don't feel are right. Yeah. But often when you test the game with... Uh, with users, you'll find that their their what they're worried about is completely different from what you're worried about, and and the, a lot of the time they don't even notice the things that you are stressing out out over. So I yeah. always recommend for people just to test as often as possible. However, early on you are in the game, uh, in like the game development cycle, just test as much as possible with as many people as possible, and yeah. get that sweet sweet feedback. But then
2: I think you need to define what done is, um, you know, is Fortnite done? That's do you the think question, they, man. Do you think they, <laughs> they, but like, I think you need to look at it. Like, what, are, what are you trying to, what's the goal of you what are you trying to get to, are you yeah. trying to release a finished game and then, okay, well, what is a finished game in your mind and work backwards from there? Or are yeah. you trying to get to a milestone where you can say, okay, do people want to play this game or people interested in the value proposition of the game or mm-hmm. people completing the game like there's very a lot of different versions of done yeah. and you need to sort of find one that uh is, matches the goal of what you're trying to do if you're trying to make money then you need to say okay what is the thing that someone's going to pay for mm-hmm. and what do i need to get to 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 get that when you're having you know the games like a passport too You guys have clearly said okay this is what we think the game is and at that point we need to make money from the game so we need to kind of get it out to be able to make money Um, and maybe you need to find that same uh same point for yourself
1: i think that um in the gear games we're in like a similar situation but um not to the same extent where uh, we've been working on this on, on the same game for uh, more than three years now, like on and off because we've uh, had to take on a lot of contracting work um, in between and we haven't been able to focus fully on it. But as I said in the beginning, like we're closing in on uh, going towards a release. And what we've had to do is we've had to define basically what we think the game should be uh, to be able to release it. But we're not in early access either, so that's different. But yeah. uh, one of the things that's really helped us to come to, to get to the point where we feel like we we're we actually have to define what's done in our case is that uh, we've brought on advisors. Yes, we've been talking to people around us who are very insightful, who have uh, released games before, and uh, tried to get their opinion on you know wh- what's missing from our game right now, yeah. and. And I think that the biggest drive, uh, beating all other drives for us, I think right now is that we have so much stuff that we want to get done. And that means that this project needs to be, we need to release it because we want to make another project and another project and another project. So we need to just finish this project so we can move on. And that, I think that's like a very big drive for us.
3: Yeah, I think I have to agree with you quite a bit there, Simon, because, um you know looking looking inwards it's really like that like i don't want to be stuck on this forever even though i've been stuck on it much further than much longer than i than i intended but certainly early access has been a factor because the game has been out since like april of 2015 and it would and it's never been broken you know it's just been it's always worked and it's always worked in multiplayer and it's just been this iterative don't break the product just make it bigger and bigger and then it becomes this sort of bottomless pit of well how big does it need to be you know
2: and why don't you
3: just release it yeah exactly i mean it's actually it's literally been the case that in the forums that people are starting to tell me since but like a year back they're like why why don't you just release this this is done it's been done for a year so they're trying to they're trying to you know help me with my psychology and and also you know one really indicative thing is um when i'm these these days when i release an update and i change something that i personally feel is like just that's a quality of life thing this is going to make everyone happier and it's a 50 50 split in the community of divisiveness like half the people love it Half the people said, "Now we don't want to play anymore because you know." And then I realized that, yeah, for the past five years, this thing has existed in people's lives, and you can't just go change it now. Mm -hmm. So it's it's become this sort of statue, sort of in a way. So so that has also you know informed me as to it's it's becoming more and more immutable because it has been released, it has been functional, and it is really the case that you know it's arbitrary certainly, but it is really the case that I think, like Simon said. I'm motivated by ideas of of future projects and when I start talking to my customers about maybe a sequel they get more excited about that than they do to the the prospect of just games as a service and keep keep going with the same thing you know
1: Yeah and plugging into that like that's where you have to start considering your monetization model yeah. How are you supposed to keep earning money off of these customers and uh, future customers so you can keep making games and keep running your company? Yeah, Uh, maybe you do have to make like uh, an entirely new game to uh, be able to earn any more money from them so you can Mm -hmm. keep making games, right? Yeah, Um, or DLC or something. But by now, I suppose that people are expecting a lot of free content in like regular updates um, because of the last five years.
3: Well, I, what's actually been happening is is I've, I've coined the phrase quality as a liability. And, and I think it's really the case that I've given away far too much, you know, because the game cost $15 from the beginning and I've never raised the price at all. And at this point, I don't feel like I could or want to anyway. So all these people who've been along for the ride since the beginning, they've gotten tons of free stuff. Like I've released 60 updates, you know, over the past six years. You should so, definitely increase the price. You yeah, m- maybe I should. Maybe I should do that for the release. Um, 100%. Yeah, you think so? Does everyone don't, agree um, on that Don't one? undervalue yourself. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's exactly what, what my feeling is, that I, I tend to give stuff
1: away, and that's just another instance of it. I think you you should tell people beforehand that upon release, uh, the the price will increase. Right. So if you want in uh, at the cheap price, this is the yeah. time. Yeah. So that way you'll have an incentive for people to buy it right now, and yeah. people who find it later will enjoy I, it as well. I, I actually have... Um,
3: stated in the forums that i won't be raising the price but i guess i could change my mind right
2: yeah
0: (laughs) yeah
3: all right i
4: think i mean it's a very common practice in early access games overall so it's i'm sure it won't be a shocker Mm -hmm. Um, yeah Cool. i think one one more thing i would like to add to it is that i think a common pattern i often see with um, devs getting stuck in very long projects is that um, I think people tend to fall in love a lot with their own ideas and their features. And I think it's something that at least we've considered very close to the core of our company for a long time now is uh, the the, um, the the killing of your darlings. So yep. um, always look critically at what you're doing and try to see it as what is this thing I'm doing actually adding uh, to the player's experience right. um, instead of uh, always, instead of getting trapped in the mindset of, oh yeah, this idea is really cool. I really want to do this. Uh, look instead at, from the player's perspective, how will they perceive this feature or this change or this piece of content? Yeah. And then yeah. don't uh, don't hesitate to, to kill your darling off, even if you've spent a lot of time on it, if it doesn't add anything to the, or add enough to the player's experience yeah. of the game. I think that's a uh, good piece of advice to bring, to tell other people as well. Yeah, 100%. And
2: that's what I was trying to say, like, set um, set, set, set a goal with that done. If it, you know, it doesn't have to be the game is completely finished. It could be, I want to know if this, if a group of people like this game. I want to yeah. know if I get, you know, mostly positive reviews on Steam. I want to know if people spend at least an hour in this game or, or that, you know, 20 percent of people that click through my website go to the steam page you know those different things can be steps along the way of you saying okay this is done now so now I'll test this specific thing if it's working and you then can if it doesn't work then you need to either say am I going to change it or kill it
3: yeah I think I think some of the things that that come to mind there are I, I probably struggle quite a bit with with obsessing over quality and and you know in relation to the idea of um, I'm certainly aware of these like prioritizing things that will actually give the user you know new experience or some value to the user, but also struggling with things like for example I'm doing you know like a competitive real-time networking game without any sort of you know backend to it, uh, and it's possible to play the game internationally right, but there are always things to be done about like for example quality of network code, but I'm also you know that's that's complicated stuff and and the thing is it doesn't actually bring new functionality. To the player to change anything like that but it's a question of quality and and i think that is a terrible rabbit hole because you can mm. like iterate on quality forever so yeah. that's that's sort of my third sub point there like where is that saturation level where it's not perfect and it's not bug free but it's good enough to move on to the next product you know that's i think
1: this this is like something that's also super specific to programmers i suppose uh, i'm saying that as a programmer myself uh, yeah. where you actually obsess over code quality which uh, for a user is non-existent, no, not. Like, yeah. It, it yeah. Re- even, like it doesn't even, like there's nothing in the game that would indicate something, uh, that something is of higher code quality or uh, less code quality yeah. uh, sometimes. So, like I'm, I'm doing a side gig right now, uh, where uh, we've been making a smaller game for the last few months, and our m- motto has been from the start that this is a fire and forget project. Like. It doesn't matter. Like I'm writing, I I was writing some code yesterday, and I was like adding a comment and realizing that I will never ever look at this file again. And I deleted the comment and just Hmm. went went about my day because I just have to keep moving forward, get the stuff done, and disregard the code quality in this in this case because we're just getting done. Yeah, I
0: think that's 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 good advice fantastic all right so moving on to the next question conscious of time uh alex uh you've asked how do you keep the drive all the way through a game's release uh do you want to give some context around that to yeah group? so it's a lot of fun making games
2: i mean that's why we are all part of the game development uh, industry um and the most fun part is probably the first 80 percent of making a game um but once you're you're done with the gameplay you you've Figured it all out. You built all the levels. You've done all that stuff. And now you have to release it, um, and that requires you know bug uh, fixing bugs, um, potentially working with a publisher and QA, potentially working with the first party platforms and doing you know all that TCR TRC checks and all that stuff. And that kills developers um, because it can be monotonous. So what I wanted to hear for you guys: how do you how do you kind of keep that speed up when you're sprinting to the uh, to the uh, finish line?
1: uh salmon do you want to kick us off on this one sure i feel like like my first immediate gut reaction to this is uh just looking back at this project that i just mentioned this smaller project that i've been working on and realizing that i've been spending so much time on uh these stupid little things like every time we have to start the game you have to go to a specific scene you have to load that scene in, and then hit play in unity right And that just takes so much more time than being able to start off from whichever scene you're working in right now. Just making sure that uh, that you take away all of those small uh, thresholds that keep you from iterating quickly. That's going to make life so much better for all the developers and for everyone. And in the end, it's going to save you so much time and energy to not have to spend on Doing like this super specific thing that you have to do to get get this project going right now to test the code that you've been running, and you know the same goes for like if you're making a mobile game, make it as easy as possible to uh, build for mobile and hopefully even deploy to mobile, even if that's something that's not even built into Unity Cloud Build. (laughs) I know for a fact, but yeah, yeah. Uh, Jonah, do you want to
4: carry
0: on with that?
3: Yeah, I mean uh again uh, it depends on how the project is set up it's been a really long time since i did a you know sort of behind closed doors make a game and then it, it's released you know the, the more traditional manner it's been many years um but i think uh one of the things that that i wish that i had uh, working alone is is the basic social contract or the, the idea that you're doing work and somebody else is actually waiting for your your work to be done if you're a programmer some you're building tools for someone they need they need that to work or all that kind of stuff is that's that's my the main thing that i i think for me at least personally would be would be the strength like somebody is you know knocking on your door and saying like when is it done like well, i need i want to play it now you know and i've worked for people who are really good at that and you know i guess that's a producer role as well but just you know um i i guess also in a way i'm very i'm very personally lucky to wake up every day and feel like this stuff is as fun as it was in 1995. So and I and I guess that's not that's not any advice you could give to somebody, but I don't know. I, I guess you gotta keep your, your you know, your eight year old Wonder Boy alive in a way and, and you realize that you're working on games and you're not working on, you know, you're not working for the automotive industry as I've done at times. So I don't know. It's it's that's that's a really hard question, I think. But I, I find that social contracts are the most powerful thing mm-hmm. in my experience.
0: Yeah. I mean, Victor, you're a producer it's technically, you know, part of your job is to basically keep the ball rolling and, you know, keep development happening. So, you
4: know, h- yeah. how,
0: how do you keep that
4: going? I think this, um, from my experience, it's been other periods of the game's development that has been more um, hard to get motivated throughout. So I, I, I considered those a bit more before this. Um, like what? I think... I think when you, at some point in a project, you tend to come into, it depends on how you structure it, of course, but you tend to come into a phase where you have all the basic core gameplay in place, and then you're refining and iterating on it to make it as good as possible. And then in some cases we come across the slump, where it kind of feels like you're treading water because you're trying to make several iterations of the same feature and not really finding the exact thing that's working out. Um, so I was more thinking about that, and, and then what's been working is, of course, um, talking lots of other devs and getting feedback from uh, them. Um, I think one of the most like important moments in in mo- most memorable moments in my game dev history was when we were re- working on Passpartout One and we were finished like closing up on. Maybe we were 67 percent on of the way to the release, and we felt kind of lost, and you know, not really sure what we were, what we were supposed to do to finish everything up. And we had this senior dev, um, uh, a lot more senior than us, since we were straight out from uni- university. We asked him like, "What do you think we should do?" And he just kicked our face <laughs> and I was like, "This is shit. This is shit. <laughs> this is shit." Just brutally honest, ruthless feedback. Yeah. And it gave us so much energy and motivation to just keep going. Um, but that, so I think looking externally for like ruthlessly honest people to give you um, feedback on what's working and what's not working with your game, your game is uh, super motivating. Um, and I also think that like doing research in general and looking to other sources for inspiration to keep going is also super helpful. Reading stuff. Um, on in the area that you're working on and playing similar games to yours um, really helps with motivating you to just make a better thing. But this is all <laughs> in a different area than I think what you were asking for, which is more of the bug fixing, polishing, getting ready for release stage. And at that point, I think it's what, what's worked for us historically at least is having very clear lists of what to get done each week. So mm-hmm. you don't spend... Uh, 60 hours in a loose, like fix bugs mode. So yeah. you don't, like, if you put a programmer, like this week, you're just gonna fix bugs and make the game better, without any more direction than that. That's gonna kill him. Yeah. But if you say we we've got um, this list of 10 bugs and those are the ones you're, you you're gonna have to fix this week, that that's a lot more. Even if they can't finish all those 10 bugs, they have a very clear sense of progress towards a goal at least. And I think that's a piece of advice you could give to anyone working on any project in any, in any setting at all. Like making sure you have a good sense of progress is motivating throughout the project. So, if you can can do that somehow, structure your work in a way that is easy to make sense of if you're making progress or working backwards, that's always motivating. Uh, Yeah,
3: yeah, I think I can agree. You know, strongly with that because having a, a, an actual finite to-do list yeah m- means that you can measure your progress. But if you don't have a to-do list or that to-do list is growing exponentially, then you could end up where I I've been. You know, and it's like okay, there's yeah. no there's no point. You know, and that that sort of kills you too.
4: And I think yeah. it's at some point you have to set a a limit to like what's acceptable, um, what's an acceptable level of crap. Like <laughs> you can't fix any all the bugs that I mean okay hypothetically you could make a game without bugs but realistically you're you're never gonna do that or even come close so you have to kind of just prioritize how bad are these bugs and where's the cutoff limit like uh, when i reach what what is the threshold for not working on fixing these bugs anymore and if you do that you should get a pretty clear list of yeah here are Hundred different bug reports that I need to get fixed because they are game breaking. You know,
3: I can l- I can let you guys off the hook. Well, the programmers here can let you off the hook because it's it's not it's provable that you can't know if a if a program is bug free. Yep. You know, QA can only prove that it has bugs. It can't prove that it doesn't have bugs. Yeah. You know,
1: and the halting problem and all that. So you you, you guys are just off the hook. It's fine. It's chaos. <laughs> 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 That's true. I I can also uh, attest to the fact that, you know, having a list of known bugs, issues, like things that you should be doing right now, that actually makes you work faster than just going in there and seeing it uh, through the eyes of like a QA tester and figuring out, oh, is there, can I find a bug to fix right now? Like that's going to take forever to just do that every time that you're supposed to be fixing bugs. So just building those lists uh, beforehand and then uh, just cr- crossing them off one by one, that's going to be a lot more effective. And I think uh, w- one more thing that I was thinking about, like things that keep my drive up is knowing that it will end. Uh, well, the project that is yeah. Uh, uh, like, <laughs> life. yeah, <laughs> life and also the project, uh, yeah. this too <laughs> shall pass, you know, but uh, we, you really need like some sort of, you n- need some plan for, what you're going to do when it's done. Like you need maybe some time off or just a, a party, something that for people to celebrate that you're, you're going to be done by this date. You can actually mark your calendar because by now you will be done with the project. Yeah, probably.
3: <laughs> yeah, I think you there was a very important word that you said. Um, you said the word should, and I think that's really good, like considering what you were talking about you with your side project, what should I be working on? If you could ask yourself that every day, even if you're working by yourself, I think you could probably, if you're honest, answer that question really well and know how many things you have been doing that maybe you shouldn't be doing, right? So, so that's the, the, you know, putting the project manager hat on. Totally.
0: Yeah, happy with that, Alex? Yeah. Yeah, perfect. All right, so next question comes from Simon um so he's asking how do you manage your time and handle the pressure of wearing all the hats within game development so that's everything from the business to the marketing and then to the uh development itself so uh do you want to give some more personal context around that
1: simon yeah i was going sort of a similar route as Jano here like i i really need to ask A question that i don't really know the answer to because i want to learn something from you and i have already but i want to learn even more uh because what i'm like what i'm doing at my company is i think i'm i have too many roles right now i need to you know do the uh, bookkeeping i need to make sure that uh, the game stays bug free i need to figure out like uh, what's the next feature that we should be adding. And I need to be talking to my community, you know, everything in between. Yeah. Uh, it's just so much. And I feel like I'm, I, I, suppose, Jono, this is a question that you're probably, uh, pretty invested into, uh, yeah.
0: Perfect. I was literally going to say, John, if you'd like to start us off on this one, because if anybody's wearing many hats, you're wearing all of them. At the C- minute.
3: Certainly, <laughs> that has been the case for a long time. And and yeah, and that and and I'm, you know, again, I'm happy that that Paul, you know, he I, I guess I was the one or one of the people who suggested the to- the topic of today's talk. You were the one. And, and it's true. like I'm, I, I'm interested in psychological health, man. You know, that's <laughs> what it's about. But yeah, certainly I, I wear all the hats. And I guess my my short answer is triage. And that's not a very satisfying answer, you know, because, you know, triage in, in the, you know, in the medical world, in the emergency room world is, you know, take your lipstick and put an X on the on the forehead of the people who are not going to survive and work on the people who are going to survive.
1: Right. And by is that, I is mean, that what triage means. I have
3: triage. That's what it means in the med- in like in an emergency situation, you know, if there's a fire and, and it's like we don't have enough medical people to save everyone. So we have to actually choose who gets to die. Uh, there's a gr- there's a great scene in that Pearl Harbor movie. Like put put an X on the, on the forehead of the people who are not going to be saved. You know, R- really terrible analogy. But the, the thing for me, it was like, I think that when when my game got traction, um, there was this sense of it because my because I worked at Massive and I worked at Dice and my uh, ambition level is so high that when I got out into early access, there was this sense I think from the community that oh, there's this whole team behind this game. And they were like, you know, let's make it work like Counter Strike, and it was like that level of pressure. And I think for me, it was it it became necessary to not simply not do some of these things that you've listed. And one of those things has been marketing. It's like I just can't. And social media, because I hate it personally as well. It's like there's no way I'm going to be able to develop this and do the you know the 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 economics and the business and the, all that kind of crap. So it's been really terrible in that way. Like people will talk to me saying, "You man, you should." you should market this game and you should be on social media and you should be promoting and I'm like I don't have the time I'm sorry so it's just triage in that way and and I, and it's i like I said it's not a satisfying answer but it, it otherwise you're going to burn out I think you're totally going to burn out and and um that's why I wouldn't recommend doing something like this without at least another person at least that that social contract somebody to pick you up when you're down that sort of thing
4: so okay. it's, it's
3: it's really hard it's really I mean because I I love the idea of of small teams being able to do big things. That's why Unity is awesome. Why Unreal Engine is awesome. This, you know, this democratization of game development. But it's like, again, quality as a liability. If you do something that's mm-hmm. too great, then the the community is going to be on you. Like, man, do all this other stuff, and you're like, oh, I don't want to let you down, and I, and I can't say no because it's making money, and it, it's it's hard. It's like, I guess, the short answer, you might you might you you'll need to triage something,
1: yeah.
3: I, and ho- hopefully, that's... it's not your health, right?
1: Yeah. I think that is actually a satisfying answer. Like, okay. ah, I like this.
3: Yeah, you're allowed. You're allowed. Out. You're allowed to not do stuff. I can do that. <laughs> you're allowed. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're switched to yeah. and you feel like you need to do everything. You, yeah. The <laughs> and all that, right? All right. It's yeah.
2: a, a common story that is told at a university where a teacher will take a, a an empty jar and they will uh, fit it foot of sand, and then they fit it full of gravel and small pebbles. Um, and then um, they will, um, and, and and a big stone, and then they'll empty it out, and they'll put the the big stone in first, and you won't be able to fit as much. Um, well, actually, it's the other way around. I think. Um, yeah, this is the way. I, I knew where exactly where you go. Yeah, yeah, Literally the other way. <laughs> yeah. A long day for me. Um, but, but basically, the idea is is that if you don't have one big t- stone or big rock in your in your plan, you you aren't going to be able to fit everything in because you would have so many small things to do. Um, and it's actually you know really good every week to set that for yourself. Being like, what is the one thing that needs to happen this week? And you can use triage to figure that out. Right. But being able to like set this thing that you that you do this week, so that you know you're getting through it. And then there's smaller things of you know being able to time block your uh, time block your time management, um, so that you make sure that you know you spend six hours coding on one one day and two hours in the afternoon doing the smaller things. Um, and then ultimately, you know. This is why we created Aurora Punks because there are so many talented game developers that you know we know that it's uh, so hard to manage everything yourself, and so we created a a company basically to find game developers that are you know like you you guys that are in small teams that are building amazing things and say you don't need to deal with um, yeah. all of this other stuff that you don't want to. You should focus on being the creator that you are, and we'll handle everything else, and we'll work with you to make sure that you can do that successfully.
4: Yeah. Victor, so, what about you? Yeah, I, I was kind of on the same track as um, as Alex on this one. I think that um, uh, historically it's been, for me at least, about uh, a lot of scheduling and time slotting out the different areas of work I have. So I have uh, one day a week where I'm an audio guy, and I have uh, one day a week where I'm a producer, and I'll tell the team, like, um, sure, if, if, if you want to grab me for some... Uh, um, some questions about the planning of the project or whatever uh, book a time and don't hug me. uh, Don't tap me on the shoulder because today is my audio day, you know, so I've I've got it split up to different responsibilities to various to a very clear structure. If I'm in a very stressful period and everyone is aware of it and on board with it. So, um, so I know that I have time to finish the things in the different areas that I need. Um, I think also, like I, I really, really agree with that point of having to forgive yourself for, um, for being anxious and feeling pressured about these things, like having to f- fulfill all these roles because it's completely reasonable and none of us are superhuman, you know. And I think it's there's a large amount of, um, I think for a lot of people there there can be a sense of shame to the to the fact that you can't fulfill the all these roles that you're expected by someone invisible person to to fulfill, you know? So you have to kind of deal with that as well and just be um, learn to be okay with the negative feelings that come with having all these different responsibilities.
2: And ask for help.
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, absolutely. And I think it's a really cool thing that um, Alex is doing with trying to help out in the devs with these things because I know it's one of the things that people hate the most about doing in the game startups is all the all the stuff around that is not making the game. Yeah.
2: Um, and I think it's good to talk to people. I mean, what we're doing right now yeah. is cathartic. Um, every every solo developer or CEO or founder or whatever goes through the same stuff. And yeah. often we don't talk about it with each other because um, yeah. you're, you're on this island by yourself and it's so scary. Um, and so sitting around with other founders, or other people in the same, uh, you know, in the same situation as you, you'll realize like, oh, these guys all have the same issues that I do. I'm not alone, and they have maybe come up with ways of solving it. Maybe they don't have ways of solving it, but at least I'm not alone. and We can talk about it and you know, like get out some of that anxiety.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think that I, I used to get a lot of that at conventions and conferences, and yeah, you know, that hasn't no, not... been there lately for no. the one and yeah. a half years, and I've really been missing that. Just meeting game dev people. It's yeah. such a huge morale boost whenever you do. Yeah.
3: yeah, 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 because then you sort of remember like, what's the point of all of this? yeah and 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 it's 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 very interesting to me that the two of you brought up uh, time boxing, you know because that's something that i my process is way too intuitive and reactive, so I don't plan very much. But I've been you know considering I've been thinking back to like when I was in high school a long time ago, it was like, you know they actually managed to teach us several subjects in a year. How did they do that? They did time boxing. They're like, now yeah. you go to the math class, and you're like, I don't want to go to math class. But maybe you could do that now, like with yourself. Like, like you said, with one day a week is audio. Like, just do that and force yourself to do that. Maybe that will help you out. You know.
1: Yep. Yeah, I think I got like three great methods to uh, stay put with here. Uh, triash, uh, just killing stuff off. Uh, yeah. The big, the big rock method, making sure that I have like this one big thing to do each week and that's what this week centers around, and then time slotting uh, probably into different days, like you mentioned, yeah. Victor, because uh, like Jano, like I, I'm all over the place all of the time uh, yeah. right now, and I don't think I would be able to do like the high school schedule yeah. or something yeah. like yeah, that. It'll, it'll off, yeah, it would piss you off, yeah. it would take too much time itself, just scheduling right yeah. like
2: that. I always put paying bills and the kind of menial stuff on Fridays mm-hmm. because you're like happy it's the weekend, and you're like, not as focused maybe because you're at the end of the week and you just get the stuff that doesn't have the as many you know require as much brain power to to do
3: yes okay. nice i, I want to relate an anecdote from way back in the day when i was at massive when we did our first game this is like in prehistoric times we were doing a game called ground control which was like a strategy game and we had an american producer and that was really really great formative for me because it was at the end of the project, and there was feature creep, and I was young, and I ran in to talk to him when he was in Sweden one day. And, he, and I said, we could do this and change this and have this new feature, and we would be awesome. And, and it was like the 11th hour, right? And he just looked me in the eye, and he said, well, no. <laughs> and that's all he said, right? And I thought that was just so brilliant and so non-Swedish. Yeah. I mean, he, he just triaged my ass right there. I was like, that's not going to happen, man. And I, I, you, you need to be able to say that to yourself. I have this great idea, but no,
0: you know, do that save it for the sequel yeah sequel yeah (laughs) so moving on to the final question from victor he's asking what are your thoughts on the hustle uh, mindset do you think it's a positive or negative thing for the games industry do you want to give some context around that
4: yeah so i think this is really closely closely related to uh, what we've been talking about so far and i'm not sure if like the expression hustle is something that that is very clear and everyone can understand. So I think I'm going to give some more context to it. And I think that uh, this is a topic that's re- been really close to me personally. So I figured I should just like, I can talk about a bit about my experiences with this hustle mindset and what it means for me. So maybe you can uh, see if it if it makes sense to you what I, what I mean by using this word. So, um, I think I have to backtrack a bit into my earlier career. I've been, as I said before, I think I've been studying and working with game development since 2013. So I'm still a baby game developer, according to quite a few veterans. But I have some experience by this point, at least. Um, And I remember starting out, I I felt this immense pressure to always you know, um, put myself out there, and to meet new people, and to pick up new skills, and to Produce the best results in terms of production to market myself to work long hours, and like all of it, all of it was done in the name of passion. Uh, you were you were uh, edging on this topic before, Jono, but uh, I, I I felt this pressure internally and what I perceived as externally, as at least that since I'm trying to do what I love for a living, which is making games, uh, then it's not unreasonable for 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 me or others to expect me to pour my entire heart and soul and time into my work. And uh, I I, I can't be sure because it's a very subjective thing, but I think this is a mindset that is present in other game devs as well, uh, especially those who are just starting out uh, and receiving all all these new experiences from talking to other game devs. Um, And... I'm, I'm, I'm still having a bit of hard time to communicate this clearly, but in some way you don't ever want to seem less pas- passionate or ambitious uh, than your peers, right? And since it appears to be a common mindset, it kind of adds on to the mindset that you have to be this person who always puts your the best side of yourself out there and uh, always works at peak performance, you know? And um, I've even encountered sentiments of people by being clearly told like why are you even here if you're not always giving hundred percent don't you love making games you know and yeah. um, and while I think like that this mindset and this culture kind of it puts a lot of pressure on new indie devs I also think that in many cases like this mindset of always building connections and putting yourself out there and um, networking and working long hours um, it might also, in some cases, be what you need to succeed. Right, in in like finding partners, finding funding, or making friends, uh, and it might be the thing that you need to be able to overcome the like impossible odds of actually finishing your first game. Um, and I think, thirdly, it's something that people can really bond over, right, and build connections around the fact that they're all we're all in the, in this like shitty work-life balance soup together at the same time and that leads me to the really uh, the, the back to the core of this question was, which is like, do you think that this mindset is a positive or a negative for the industry because there are so many sides to it I'll so say, yeah, that was very rambly. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. It's
0: fine. I'd say Alex would be in a good spot to so I know John has yeah. been in the industry for a very long time, but Alex is actually dealing with multiple different studios who because of the, possibly that mindset alone have actually formed together uh through Aurora Punk. So maybe if you want to start us off on that, Alex? Yeah, no, I think it's an interesting concept. And you know, I think um,
2: I'm I'm half American, so i kind of in my blood I've been trained to believe that like you gotta work your ass off and work really hard. And a lot of my family members work extremely hard to, to a point where I'm like, whoa, chill out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I come to Sweden because um, I didn't grow up here and people are far more relaxed here um, than what I'm used to. And, um, you know, being in a startup world, people here, you know, it's log on still, you know, they still take it easy in the evening and they don't work crazy hours. And it was a real mind shift for me uh, to go through. And then some of the best developers I've met and i've worked with are they you know they don't you know they're passionate but they it's a job still and you have a life and what i've realized over the last you know three or four years is that the quality of your work has nothing to do with how much time you put into it Um, at the end of the day you need to relax you need your brain needs to leave your work so that you can come back refreshed um and I, I think everyone has a different uh, passion is not something that you can compare one person to another just because you have a tattoo doesn't mean you're more passionate about that subject. If you have a specific tattoo, um, you can be just as passionate without. It. And I think, um, you know, talking about a specific what we're doing with Aurora punks, it's harnessing that passion, but also making sure that that passion isn't, you know, um, it, it doesn't turn into a, a double-edged sword where, you know, they're overworking themselves and they feel like they need to do things that's um, maybe comes unnaturally to them. I hate socializing. I hate going out. I love to stay at home and be with my family and their meetups and stuff like that. And I feel obliged to it. But at the same time, you know, you got to give yourself a break. If it's not who you are, it's not who you are. Um, and I think it's better to um, recognize that. And, you know, you do obviously need to put in good work when you're at work, but also also give yourself a break. Um, because, the, you know, stressing about it isn't going to make it go away. You need to understand how your are Ability to work and what your strengths are can allow you to succeed. Hmm. I don't know. Yeah. John, I'm I just follow on
3: from that. No. Yeah, yeah, I've been think- I've been thinking here about you know, the, the I think there are historical reasons for what you're feeling um, there, um, Victor, because um, I started in the, in the in the industry in the days before Unity, right, and, and before Unreal and such and such. I think, on the one hand, I think, especially the Swedish game industry, sort of certainly emulated the American style of working because mm-hmm. all our heroes were American companies. And it was like, that's what you got to do. And that's, this is what they're working on. And we got to build everything from scratch. So I think that engendered, you know, a real, you know, sort of elitist uh, culture, work really hard, write really, for programmers, especially like write really tight code or don't write it at all. Um, it, was, it was the arms race of 3D graphics, if you if you remember that, you know? These days, that's a lot of people who are my age, they say that stuff is kind of solved now. Like graphics is solved and, you know, you can use an engine and all that kind of stuff. So for for me, I've been seeing, you know, that stuff has been sort of, that that intensity has been sort of let off a little bit. And it's not all just about what is DICE doing, what is Massive doing now. There's all these indies now. And for me, it what happened with the games industry is exactly what I wanted to happen. Like with Steam and you can release your small games or your crazy games or your expensive games, your cheap games. So in that way, I think so think I think things have been slowly getting better um, um, so yes, yeah, so in a way, things were worse before, certainly but on on the flip side of that, I think long hours personal passion, self-improvement, that's core to our personalities because I don't think otherwise we would be doing this yeah. for me, I only do self-improvement and people they they can't stand me they're like too much pressure, dude like what if- like they say, you want to hang out and like, yeah, let's make a game, or let's write a song, or you know <laughs> let's, and they're like, no, but let's drink a beer, you know so so I think some of it is is in it's ingrained in our personality. Certainly for me, it's that way. um and 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 if you think about it in the positive light, it's like, what would you rather be doing? Like do you want like a, a you know work at you know at a cash register at Ikea or whatever you know your market? I don't know. It's it's hard. It's hard. I think I, I'm probably going to explode, you know, burn out personally. <sighs> so I love this stuff and I'm going to do it until I die. But um, it, it certainly has been negative. It's been negative, um, especially specifically, you mentioned people who are just starting out and the pressure they feel to be elite and be amazing and be really, really good that I don't I don't like that part of it and i've been doing a lot of lecturing at, at you know at vocational schools game dev schools and stuff trying to humanize it trying to talk about my mistakes trying to say you know it's okay and we're in it for the creative and we're doing emotional stuff we're making emotionally resonant products right so you got to keep that stuff in line and you got to love it and so yeah i think my my two cents is things are getting better in a lot of ways because there, it has been democratized i'm sure like those of you who use unity i'm sure you're happy that that stuff exist because you can do what you can do, you know, as opposed to being very elitist and you're not allowed to make a game if you can't write a renderer, you know, that kind of crap that was back in the day.
2: But at the same time, we're in a world with social media where you go on Twitter and you have this game developer that's got great Twitter presence and they've got thousands of followers and you're just sitting there like, oh, got to compete with that, or like, how am I supposed to even get started with that? You know, this you're seeing what everyone else is doing so clearly. And it's, yeah. you know, sure, we're not competing on rendering anymore as much, but like just being noticed and people talking about you and being included in different things, it can put a d- different type of pressure on you as a developer. C-
1: what certainly, about you, certainly Simon, agree, by yeah. the way? Yeah, I feel like I I think you knew this when you uh, came up with the question, like it is both a positive and a negative, obviously, like uh, it's a great drive. It makes you do great things. But at the same time, we're running around with these feelings of not being enough. Uh, I've I've been feeling this just this week, like I'm always behind on something, right? I always need to do more and get something done. And that can really drag you down. But at the same time, I, I recognize what you're saying, Jono. Like uh, just wanting to do stuff in your free time as well. I was helping out my uh, my bonus daughter uh, with her homework yesterday, and I was thinking about like uh, homework. Why we don't really have homework anymore, like since we grew up. But that's it's something that I kind of I I do have like this sort of homework because I wanna I wanna work. With stuff at home, I want to uh, like learn how to uh, build stuff, and I want to learn how to grow stuff. I want to learn, you know, all kinds of stuff in my free time, uh, and I I think that that's I don't know. Now I'm rambling as well, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> you know, it's it's both a positive and a negative, obviously, uh, and and I I've I've had have similar experience to you. You know, we started at the same school uh, in the same year, uh, the two of us. So uh, we probably had a pre- pretty similar situation with uh, like being in the city where uh, a Coffee Stain uh, made a goat simulator uh, suddenly, like everyone at school, I remember uh, how everyone was like, oh my God, they made just a trailer and it had 50,000 views. The next day it was like, oh my God, that trailer has 3 million views and all of a sudden, like, it just blew up. I remember that very strongly as something that set the tone for the rest of my time that I spent in the uh, in that city. And just the fact that you wanted to get those numbers, you wanted to be that good as the people that you had around you, like the, mm. those... Uh, you know, you sort of started idolizing those mm. games companies that were doing so well uh, that you had so close to you. Yeah. yeah. In in a
3: way, I'm realizing you
1: um, being older and such.
3: In a way, everything is still the same because, like back in the day, for me, that, that like that situation that you're describing there is like it sets the bar. Like we got to be beyond, right? Yeah. Uh, when I when I was like in high school still, I saw the first original Doom from 93, you know, it's like, and no one on the planet knew how they had done that. Mm -hmm. So it was like, this is like, there's one guy on the planet who knows that, but I want to do that. And okay. So that, that, that gap is really, really huge. And I'm sure you said, you felt exactly the same thing. How to even go about starting to get to that, that place? Right. But the flip side, again, isn't that amazing to feel that sort of inspiration to be Mm -hmm. that. You know, sort of still wonderstruck, uh, you know, when you're getting into adult life and you're like, I just, I just, why do I feel like I need to do this? You know, that's, I think that's an amazing gift to have that you're like, I must do it. And, and you can't explain to anyone who's outside of the industry why you feel that way, but you, you just have to, right?
1: Yeah. And now it's not so much about like overcoming technical difficulties, but yeah. it's more like, how do we get so much attention uh, towards our game? That's, yeah. I think that's yeah. what it's very much about, just getting attention. Yeah,
3: and your and your generation has certainly a much higher bar in terms of just like design quality than we ever had. We were like, if it ran at all, it was great, you know. But <laughs> but now it's like you gotta make a game that that's as, that's this sweet. So the, and you know, it's it's 25 years later of all these games that have come out, and certainly the industry as a whole is getting better at game design. And just look at, you know, the ubiquity of gaming. Like when we started out, we were nerds in a basement. And you can't say you can't go to the bar and say to girl, hey, baby, I made Quake 2. But now, literally, just like a, a month ago, I was at a bar and a young, like a 20 year old girl figured out that I was a game developer. and She thought I was cool, even though I could what? be father. <laughs> no, it literally, literally happened, that thing that we thought would never happen, you know. So what? what happened? What happened with the industry? You know, it's amazing. Now it's cool to be a game developer. Now you can go to high school in Sweden and, and take a game developer high school thing. You know, it's it's stupid. And you, I'm sure you've all seen that great um, documentary that that SVT just released. Um, the one about the, the Swedish games industry and, yeah. and all that mm-hmm. stuff. As, too bad you can't see that if you can't speak Swedish, Paul. It's really great. I can understand um, it. It's fun. Yeah. Yeah. Cool cool, <laughs> cool. cool. But that's just like a great example of like what the hell happened. You know, it just exploded. And it, and I and I personally just feel it's all great because because of Steam, because of all, because now we can release these stupid little funky games that that we always wanted to make back in the day when I was at Massive. There were publishers, and we were releasing things on CDs. Mm-hmm. And they controlled the the store space. There's a, impossible to release what I'm doing now. like no one would ever do that, you know. so i'm uh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry if I'm not I'm joining in on the negativity, but i I want to <laughs> celebrate the positivity of what what's possible, you know these days
4: no, I, I really like to turn this question to you. What's very I got some very personal accounts of your takes on it, which is okay. just what I wanted. So Fantastic. thank you,.
0: Right, but I'm gonna have to uh, wrap it up there, guys. Uh, I know Alexander's got to run off, uh, and Vicky, you've not got too long either. So, just like to thank you all, uh, for getting involved and you know sharing your experiences on what a very important topic within uh, indie game development. So, thank you so much.